0: Our final scripture reading this morning is Revelation 8, the entire chapter, and in that we'll find our text, the verses 6 through 12, but read Revelation 8, the text is verses 6 through 12. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour, and I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. It was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer. Filled it with fire from the earth, from the altar, and hurled it on the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And here starts our text. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water, and the name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. So far our text... As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. After the sermon, let's sing hymn 40, stanzas 1, 3, and 4. beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Today is Pentecost. If you look at our readings and our text, you say, this does not sound like a traditional Pentecost text. You are right. Why is that? Let me be frank, brothers and sisters. I haven't written a shall we call a traditional Pentecost sermon for a couple of years, also because of sabbatical. And for me to go back a few years for a Pentecost sermon, I don't know if I'm even able to deliver that after such a long time. So that was a consideration. The other consideration is, I really would like to preach the last two sermons that I preached. That's easy for me. I also happen to like the sermon from this morning and this afternoon, and look forward to delivering that to you. But I think, thinking about that, so often when we speak about the Holy Spirit, we tend to, to put Him in a completely set-apart group. We got talk about the Father, we talk about the Son, we talk about the Holy Spirit. And that's not right. Particularly, when you look at the book of Revelation, you say, this is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is king, he is ruling the world, and that's what it's all about. Well, we forget. is The book of Revelation is also about the Father who gives the dominion to his Son, and it is the Holy Spirit who executes the plan and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. How often don't we read about, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches, And we read in Revelation about the seven spirits. Seven is a symbolic number, but the seven spirits is the Holy Spirit. All eyes. He is the eyes of Jesus Christ throughout the world, and He executes the plan of Jesus, primarily to bring the gospel to the world, but also to bring judgment on the world. We will see, both this morning and this afternoon, that as our Lord Jesus Christ brings judgment on this world, It's not just about a king who's hammering the world, but it's about a king that's trying to wake up the world and call the world to repentance and work in judgment also through his spirit to ripen people, to shake them up, to seek a peace which passes all understanding. So I would suggest to you that although it's not a traditional Pentecost text, Revelation is very much a book about the seven spirits, about the Holy Spirit himself, who works, who proceeds from our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we look at our passage, which we have before us this morning, we say to ourselves, this is not easy stuff. Revelation has just completed, speaking about the opening of the seven seals. And now we have the blowing of the seven trumpets. And if you keep on reading, you'll read about the seven bowls. They got seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, and then you have the interludes of the hundred and forty-four thousand who have been sealed, and and the great dragon and the beast who comes out of the sea. What is it all about? It's so confusing. Who is to make sense of this? Well, we need to take it easy. We need to, to read Just read Revelation in a straightforward manner. It begins with chapter 4 and 5 where we read that the scroll of history is given to the Lamb, our Lord Jesus Christ. He takes control of history. He begins to open the seals. And the opening of the seven seals cover the whole time period between his ascension and his return. And the judgments which come upon the world. Then you come to the seven trumpets. Seven trumpets cover exactly the same time period between ascension and return. The seven bowls, the same thing. It covers that same time period between ascension and the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when you read about the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls, they're all parallel. They cover the same time period. But they also show intensification. With the opening of the seals, judgments come upon this world. Then with the blowing of the trumpets, that that judgment intensifies. A third of the world is affected. And then when the bowls are poured out, then the wrath and the judgments of God hammer this world. And what is clearly happening with this intensification is our, our Lord Jesus Christ shows He is King. And He brings judgment on an unbelieving world who flaunt their immorality before His face but also shows mercy. As time progresses and the end comes nearer, our Lord Jesus Christ intensifies judgment on this world to shake it up that people will finally get down on their knees and by the power of the Holy Spirit come to know a peace which passes all understanding. Brothers and sisters, for us this is a a tremendous eye-opener. We look at our world... We see a beautiful creation, look today, the sun is shining, the, 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 the leaves and the blossoms are all coming out, a beautiful world, but somewhere there's an earthquake, or there's been a, a tsunami, or you go to the cross, cancer, and you see that filled with cancer patients. How to understand our world, so beautiful, so troubled, so violent? Well, what we need to see is Jesus Christ is King. And he's bringing all this on the world, not only to judge it, but to shake it up and get people to seek a peace which passes all understanding. And if we understand that, brothers and sisters, we can live our lives through all the ups and downs of this world and know Jesus is in control. He's doing amazing things and he's working to the day when the new paradise will be brought to us. We summarize our text in this way. With the blowing of the seven trumpets, Jesus Christ brings judgment on earth. And we'll look at the significance of the trumpets, the contents of the trumpets, and finally the message of the trumpets. <laughs> now, before we get into our into the core of our text, we should make some general observations about the meaning and significance of trumpets. Every Bible reader recognizes that trumpets are very important in Scripture. And they signal great events that God is doing. Trumpets are blown when a, when a, a king is anointed and appointed to office. But also, trumpets are sounded at moments of salvation and of judgment. In fact, in the Bible, you could say that every major trumpet blast signaling judgment and or salvation points forward to the very last trumpet blast where the archangel will sound the trumpet that the whole world will hear and our Lord Jesus Christ comes on the clouds of heaven bringing judgment to unbelievers, bringing everlasting salvation and joy to the people who believe in him. We can take an example from the Old Testament which functions very much as a background to our text and that comes from Joshua, Joshua 6. We meet Joshua there, standing by himself, looking at Jericho. A formidable city. A fortress. Archaeology today still can show you what a formidable city this was. How could puny little Israel meet these Canaanites with their fortified cities and actually enter the promised land and take it over as God had promised them? Well, someone met Joshua there outside Jericho a commander of the army of God probably the angel of the Lord and probably the son of God himself come in human form the pre-incarnate Christ and he said to Joshua Joshua you just walk around that city seven days you blow the trumpet and on the last day the walls will come crashing down and you'll take over the city And that will show that it's not by your might that you gain the victory, but by the might and the grace of God. We are seeing the same thing, brothers and sisters, here in our passage, in our text, with the blowing of the trumpet. Christ is King. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He holds the whole world in His hands. And He looks at a world, it seems so formidable, with its immorality and unbelief and godlessness. But Jesus Christ says I will show you world who is boss. You cannot mock me and get away with it. I will bring judgments on this world that will make your hair stand on end. I will show you the just deserts of you living in sin. You want to live in sin? I'll bring judgment upon you. I'll show that I'm king. At the same time, brothers and sisters, and we see that very much here in this passage, our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't destroy the world. He exercises restraint. Only a third of the world is affected. Because what our Lord Jesus Christ is also striving to do in judgment is to wake people up, to make them realize the folly of their ways, that they fall on their knees. And seek to be washed in the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ and know the peace which passes all understanding. Now, that does raise some intense questions. We think of the judgments that our Lord Jesus Christ brings here in this world, and we think of all those babies that have been orphaned, or mutilated, or killed. Because of war, because of famine, because of a tsunami or an earthquake or volcanic eruption. We think of all those seemingly innocent men and women and teenagers who have gone through horrible suffering and persecution and torment in our world. Why does a good God allow that to happen? In fact, it can make you question not only the existence of God, but the integrity of God. But do remember, our God created a good world and a perfect world. A world where all men could live in joy and happiness and know their God and live to His praise and glory in perfect peace and goodness as the image of God. But man rebelled. And man brought sin into this world. And all the disease and the war and the affliction that comes with that as Paul writes in Romans 8, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. When our Lord Jesus Christ brings judgments on this world, those judgments come because we opened the door. We brought sin. We brought the vanity of vanities. And We do not go so far as to say that when our Lord Jesus Christ brings punishment in somebody's life, you can then say it is because of such a specific sin, obviously that person committed adultery, and therefore, therefore, the Lord is going to give that person AIDS. I want to be very careful. With... Oops. Ah. Water glass. We want to be very careful when we talk that way. The judgments of our Lord Jesus Christ are more of a global, general nature. Our Lord Jesus Christ brings judgments into this world in order to show that he is not to be mocked, and at the same time to give the world an opportunity to repent. Now, as Christians, we feel the, the unbelief and the immorality of our world very acutely, you think of what we read in Revelation 6, verse 9, about the cry of the souls under the altar. How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Think about this very carefully, brothers and sisters. If the immorality of your world doesn't shake you up, If you're not bothered by the sexual immorality, the drugs, the alcohol, and the gambling of our world, either you're living in a huge fool's paradise, or you have succumbed yourself to that immorality and that blasé, sinful, immoral lifestyle. As a child of God, we ought to feel the unbelief, the sin, the immorality of our world so acutely that it bothers us to no end. And as we read about the seven seals, heaven is silent. Heaven is silent because it's waiting for your prayer, your cries, your crying out to Jesus Christ. Don't you see it, Lord? The immorality, the way people are mocking you and turning your back on, backs on you. Do something, Lord. Don't let the world get away with it. Don't let it go unpunished. We are reminded here of what is known as the imprecatory psalms of the Old Testament. An imprecatory psalm simply means those psalms like 137, 139, which ask for a curse on the enemy. We want to be very careful here. The Old Testament time when Israel was isolated in the midst of a godless world around it was a different time. We are living in the midst of our world. If I look at my neighbor, and my neighbor is committing adultery, or he's selling drugs, I will not pray to God and say, oh Lord, strike that man down with a heart attack just to teach him a lesson. I wouldn't do that. If he had a heart attack, I'd pray for him. If he made a long distance trip and got in an airplane, I'd pray for my neighbor that he wouldn't have a horrific accident. At the same time, very humbly, I watch my Lord Jesus Christ in action. King of Kings, Lord of Lords, running this world. Watch a plane smash into the trade tower. Watch a tsunami wipe out a quarter of a million people in the Indian Ocean. Look at the Cross Cancer Institute. Our hearts are breaking. We weep for our world. At the same time, we know this is from our Lord Jesus Christ. He's bringing his judgments on this world. He will not be mocked by their unbelief and immorality. At the same time, he's giving an opportunity for the world to wake up and seek something better than what the life of this world has to offer. The time is short. The trumpets are being sounded. You can smell hell already. You can smell hell with that tsunami, with the, the plane fuel burning in the tray towers. You can smell the fury of Satan. You know a little bit of what hell is like. Please, people of the world, wake up and seek the peace which is in the blood and spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our text is saying to us with a trumpet blast, a wake-up call. Now we turn to our second point, and that's, that's the contents of the trumpets. Exactly what is being taught to us, what exactly is happening when each trumpet is being blown by one of the angels. Now we have to keep in mind here, brothers and sisters, that we are in a vision filled with symbolism. And it's clear right from Revelation 1 verse 1 that you cannot take symbolism literally. But this is imagery which we have to interpret, which you have to try to understand to get to the true message. To take symbolism literally is to absolutely miss the point of the text. For instance, there are people who look at this passage the first trumpet is blown, a third of the forests are destroyed. Some people are studying the papers every day, waiting for that massive forest fire where exactly one-third of a forest will be destroyed. And they say, there, now Revelation 8 is being fulfilled. That's more of a curiosity-seeking endeavor than to understand Scripture. Because when those trumpets are being blown, that's not just one little, literal event, but it covers all of history between the first and the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Read this passage as it was meant to be understood in a symbolic way that drives home a point in a very clear way. Not literally, not one specific event, but many events occurring in modern history as the world ends, nearing its end. Now today we are dealing with the first four trumpets. You will notice that when these trumpets are blown, they, they affect the earth, the sea, inland waters, and the sky, which is basically all of life. Our Lord Jesus Christ is King and He is judging all times, all places, and all peoples. There is nowhere where Jesus Christ is absent or not doing His work through the power of His Holy Spirit. Everything in this world is affected by the rule of Jesus Christ. Now, let us look briefly at the four trumpets. When the first trumpet is blown by the first angel, fire and hail mixed with blood come down from heaven. A third of the earth is burned up. That's your soil and topsoil. A third of the trees all the grass. Now, you know in the Bible, hail and fire and blood are more often symbols of judgment. We're talking here about... A judgment so catastrophic that it destroys a large part of the earth's vegetation. And you know what that will lead to is massive starvation and people dying. When the second trumpet is blown, something like a mountain plunges into the sea. Possibly John is seeing something like a volcanic eruption. Vesuvius had erupted not that long before this. And when that flaming mountain erupts and pours into the sea, it kills a lot of the sea life, the fish and the plankton and all the plants, and of course destroys many ships. And when we consider how much of our world is dependent on the sea for commerce and for food, again, we're talking here about massive disruption of life and a lot of suffering and death. When the third trumpet is sound, a star comes flaming into the lakes and the ponds and the rivers of the earth. So this could be something like a flaming comet. And as scientists know very well, if you get a massive comet slamming into the earth, we're talking about tremendous destruction and loss of life. This star is called Wormwood. Wormwood is an herb which is poisonous, and if that gets into the water system, people will suffer and people will die. When the fourth trumpet is blown, then a third of the sun and the moon is darkened. We're not talking here about an eclipse. We're talking here about a partial partial darkening of the sun and the moon. Some sort of natural disaster, perhaps even pollution, blocks out the sun and the moon. And when you realize that light photosynthesis is basic for life, we're talking here again major disruption and loss of life. We're not seeing here, brothers and sisters, total destruction of the world, but we're talking about tremendous torment and suffering. Suppose that one-third of this earth's topsoil and trees and all its grass would disappear. Suppose that a third of the oceans and the seas were so lifeless that people were starving anywhere, everywhere because there was no fish to catch. And commerce fell off. Imagine that here in Edmonton a poison got into our water system and a third of the city would die. A third of this congregation dead. That's no small thing. That's massive. Tremendous disruption of life. And now we're just talking about the way life was then. But we are entirely within our, our right and responsibility to impose this on our modern day. And we're not just talking about water and crops. Imagine that a virus, a terrible virus would overtake the internet. All email and commerce would come screeching to a halt and Internet banking would stop. Think of a couple of years ago when there was that electrical outage in in Michigan and Ontario. It was just just a taste of how terrible life could be if you lost electricity. Imagine that here in, in Alberta, oil production and natural gas production would cease and next winter we would have no heating in our homes. How many people would start suffering and dying? What we have nowadays is is uh, penicillin-resistant bugs. We have new flus coming at us where we say that may may, may make the Spanish influenza look like nothing. We live in a world where it is possible and where we see it already happening, diseases and things that get into the electrical system, the, the gas... The internet, which can pulverize and shatter our normal way of living. You notice that God is not destroying the world. We're talking a third. That's a symbolic way of saying it's going to have a tremendous effect on our world. People will suffer. People will die. People will starve. And we're seeing that all over our world... It's time for the world to wake up, isn't it? Our Lord Jesus Christ, who is King, He's bringing the judgments more and more fiercely as the end is in sight. When you have that, that disease that, that's eating up your flesh and no penicillin, nothing will help you. Is this not a time to wake up and say, is this life to have my flesh eaten up and then I'm annihilated and gone forever? Or am I going to seek a peace? A peace that's more than this flesh. A peace in the blood and spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is bringing these judgments to wake the world up, to shake it up. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, people will be saved and have comfort for body and soul and life and death. That brings us to our last point, the message of the trumpets. We've already talked about why Jesus Christ brings judgments into this world, but now we'll look at exactly what this means for us as the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the first place, as the judgments come into this world, it gives glory to our God. And There we see many connections between these seven trumpets and the plagues in Egypt in the time of Moses. You know, the Lord brought plagues on Egypt through Moses and Aaron. And God did not want Pharaoh to repent. Not right away. You don't read just that Pharaoh hardened his heart, but God hardened Pharaoh's heart. God didn't want Pharaoh to repent. Imagine that Moses and Aaron did one sign, and then Pharaoh says, Ooh, I better smarten up and and, and give in to God. And Israel just quietly goes to the promised land and nobody takes notice. But Pharaoh resists. and God comes with one plague after another. He shows that he is the Almighty. He shows that he can move Pharaoh around like a pawn until finally Pharaoh is crippled and he has to let his people go, let the people of Israel go. This becomes a defining moment in the history of Israel. It says, here we are, a puny people in Israel. In Egypt, we are nothing but our God. He is the Almighty. He shakes Pharaoh up, and Pharaoh had to let us go. That becomes an image. That becomes a metaphor also for us today. We live in a world where we see sin and death and the power of Satan. It is a formidable enemy in our world. But every time there is a judgment we see who's really boss and who's really running this world. oh our world thinks it can stop the judgments. we can stop a tsunami. we can stop the next hurricane katrina. we can stop any kind of new flu that affects us. it can't. the tsunamis will keep crashing. the the hurricanes will wash out dikes and Enter cities and drown people. Diseases will continue to come and and claim lives. As we sang in Psalm 2, the Lord holds the world in derision. You mock me, I will bring judgments. And as a Christian, when we look at that, every time we see these things happen, we say, Lord Jesus Christ, you are King. And you are running this world. And you are moving it towards that day when all who do not believe in you will pay for it in hell for eternity. But you will take all your people to yourself and bring us through that exodus to the promised land, the new heavens and the new earth. The second thing that these judgments do is put the world on notice. We've already been talking about that. We need to do some very careful thinking here. We need to develop a Christian philosophy about suffering and catastrophe in our world. A world view, if you will. You know, I would never pray for terrorists to slam a plane into a a tall building. And when those planes were crashing into the trade center, we prayed... We prayed our hearts out to God for those poor, suffering people and families. And we were there. We sent our money. We surrounded these people with our prayers. At the same time, we humbly look at that and say, Jesus Christ, You are King. I don't pray for this. But I will also not pray for a world Where there is absolutely no suffering. Where there is a perfect peace in this world. Because Jesus, you are king. You have to show that you're king to this world. You have to shake this world up. We read that in Matthew 24 that our Lord Jesus Christ said, These disasters will come. They have to. Our understanding of life, every time there's a tsunami or an earthquake, or you go to the Cross Cancer Institute and you see all those people with cancer. Open your eyes. Yes, pray for those people. But pray in this way, that our Lord Jesus Christ also brings the suffering and trouble to wake people up. And that we seek the true peace, which is in the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. And so the third thing that the judgments of our Lord Jesus Christ do is they have a very powerful effect on us to comfort us and to strengthen our faith. When we look at our world and we look at all the judgments, we recognize this is the world we made because of our sin. And when we look at a world of sin, of suffering, of dying, of hospitals, of graveyards. We realize that we have here no lasting city. This is not my eternity. This is not how we want to live forever. You never know when the next earthquake comes. You never know when someone will hit you with a car. You never know when you'll have a heart attack. That's that's not our world. It's temporary. We are... It is fleeting. And we're moving on. We're moving on to Him who is the King. Who comes with His judgments. But is offering us very clearly a dawn of a new day. When the last trumpet will be sounded. Our Lord Jesus Christ will come down in the clouds of heaven. It will be a, a terrible day for Satan and all unbelievers as they are sent down to hell. But for everybody, who believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, every tear will be wiped from your eyes, and sin and pain and death will be no more, and we will dwell with Christ, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, eternally. Amen.